This podcast contains adult language and graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, listeners. I'm Kayla. I'm Katie. And you're listening to Murder, Mayhem, and Merlot. okay so today we have my second episode which is one of the craziest murders to me ever and you've never heard of it never not once which is crazy to me that you've not heard of a murder case but i'm super stoked that i picked this one i'm excited just because you're so excited. This one is... And you're so nervous to tell me. I am. I'm so nervous. I've been thinking about it for the past couple of days and especially all day today. She's not heard this before, so I don't want to mess this up for everyone listening. I don't want to mess it up telling her the story. <laughs> and there's some wild stuff in here, and I just want to get the raw reaction of Kayla while I'm doing this. Oh, it'll be a raw reaction, all right. So I, I, <laughs> I said that real. You creepy. made it weird. You made it weird. <laughs> I said that's so creepy. Okay, it's gonna be a raw reaction. You, all right, you made it real weird. <laughs> I have a tendency to do that. That's true. Let's jump right in. Dun dun dun. I am taking us across the water. Across the water. I am taking us across the water. We are hopping and not the Mississippi. No, no. We're going completely different country here. So I... Our first time going... Our first time going like, to a different country. Theoretically, like... Yeah. Yeah. In an episode. I mean, it would be... I mean, I've never been to a different country, period. So. Me, me neither. <laughs> so... I don't know why I said theoretically. I've never made it out of um the east side of America. So... You've never... Like, where, where's the farthest you've been? The farthest I've been? Yeah. So is it Vermont? Like, west or just period? I mean, West, yeah. Chicago. So you've been to Vermont, which is north. Vermont, which is north, and then Chicago. That's the farthest you've been? Yeah. Okay. I've been to Oregon. That's the, about as far as you can go. Okay. <laughs> We're going to Germany today. I chose this case. This is crazy. And this case is the Hinterkaifeck murders. That's a Hinterkaifeck? Hinterkaifeck. There's no T. Oh, hint, hinterkaifeck. Yes, H-A-I-N-T-E-R-K-A-I-F-E-C-K. Hinterkaifeck. Cool. I'm not going to say that again. Right. Cool. Okay. And let me just go ahead and say before we get really into this, I am probably going to mispronounce some of the names that are in this. I'd almost guarantee it. I'm not German in the slightest. And when researching this case, there are several different pronunciations of these people's names. So I'm just going with what I feel on some of them. Okay. I'm really just following my heart. Okay. Sometimes that's all you can do. That's all you can do. So the Hinterkaifeck farm was located in Grobern, Germany. On the farm lived Andreas Gruber, who was 63, Kazalia Gruber, his wife, who was 72, 
their daughter, Victoria Gabriel, 35, her daughter, Kazelia, named after her mother, or her grandmother, who was seven, and her son, Victoria's son, Joseph, who was two, and the new maid, Maria Baumgartner. Baumgartner? It's B-A-U-M-G-A-R-T-N-E-R. Baumgartner? But I'm going to call her Maria from here on out. Okay. She was 44. Okay. Andreas was not a very popular man around town. He was kind of known to be kind of rude. There's some scandal in here that I'll get into in a minute. So he's, he's really not known for very great things around the town. But the family did have some wealth because of their farm. They had, they had a very successful farm. And he also had a criminal record, which stems from the scandal. In the mid-1910s, Andreas Gruber and his daughter, Victoria Gabriel, had their first legal complaint filed against them. The complaint was filed for incest. They were each arrested and found guilty of the crime. Andreas served a year in jail, and there's different reports as to what Victoria served. Some reports say that she also served a year. Some say that that she just served a month. Back up. So, how are they related? Andreas is Victoria's father. This is her dad. Oh, no. Her father. And she went to jail, too? She went to jail, too. She had also, Victoria had also just given birth to one of her children. Oh, God. Around this time. So, it is reported in the articles and stuff that I was looking this up in as a sexual relationship. I, in no way whatsoever, classify the relationship, quote-unquote, that they had as a relationship. Because this started when Victoria was around 15, 16 years old. Her father, Andreas, started sexually assaulting her when she was a teenager. Yeah. So I in no way call this any sort of relationship. Yeah, this isn't a consensual. No. She couldn't. She. It's her father, number one, and number two, you can't consent. Exactly. So like I said, she just had her daughter, Kazalia, and mm-hmm. she was adamant that Kazalia was not her father's, but was her recently deceased husband's, Carl Gabriel. During the assaults, she had also kind of run away and gotten married to somebody like really quick because she just didn't want to have this continue happening with her and her father. And she thought it would stop if she, she got thought married. it would stop if she got married. It did not. Bless her heart. Yes. Okay, so Victoria and Carl had been married for some years before the murders took place. Mm-hmm. Carl had married Victoria due to her family's wealth, and Victoria had just married him because she wanted to get away from her dad. Their marriage was not super strong, not super happy. They're both in it for very selfish reasons, which is fine. It was fine. A lot of people didn't marry for love back then. I mean, that's true. It, yeah. I mean, a lot of people really didn't get married for love or they wanted to be together. It was a lot of times it was kind of like a business Tra- It deal. was a transaction. Right. Yeah. But her father, Andreas, could not stand the thought of anyone being with Victoria but himself, which is just real gross and creepy even saying that. I feel like I need to shower now. But very, very gross. It is creepy. really gross. And how old was she when they got married? It it doesn't nowhere said like how. Because she was still probably a child when she even she got was married. pretty young. Which I mean, back then people did get married at like fifteen, sixteen years old. So that's right. for the time. That's not really. I think that... she was in her twenties when she got married because she was, um, she was thirty five when she died. So Andreas was was pretty mean to Carl because he wanted to be with his daughter. He wanted to be the only man with his daughter, which is real gross. Yeah. 
So Carl just left. He left Victoria. He went back to his parents' home. When he got there, it's not reported how long he was there. A day, a few days. I couldn't find exactly how many, how long he was there. But he went back to his parents. They convinced him to go back. They were like, hey, if you stick this out, then we'll be half owners of that farm one day, which means a lot of money for us. So don't forget why you're in this, okay? Get your head in the game. Go back. So... In the game. Exactly. <laughs> the first thing that popped in my head. So that's that's fair. A little high school musical there for you. Oh yeah. So Carl goes back to Victoria, but not long after he went back, he enlisted in the military while World War One is going on. He just really didn't want to be there. I mean, that's that's, that's pretty <laughs> hardcore. Yeah. Commitment. He probably would have ended up in the war anyway. Probably, yeah. But he, he just enlisted. Took the initiative. Of his own, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's reported that Carl was killed in France during an explosion in December of 1914. His body was never found. Now, Victoria is a widow. Bless her heart. Yeah. She, she, really, she really doesn't have an awesome life, which yeah. sucks. And then she gets... That's an understatement. Yeah. Then she dies so brutally. Mm-hmm. It's it, it just never gets better for her, which really sucks. Mm-hmm. And I hate it. But I mean, she also had lost children. She'd been pregnant. I think it was twice before and she lost them. Oh, so I mean, she really has just not had a good go at things, mm-hmm. which is horrible. So Maria Baumgartner, and I did say it wrong the first time, but Mikey has informed me now how to say it a million times. But yeah, yes, he did. Yes. She was the new maid that had just been hired on. The day that the murders happened was her... On the farm, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. The day that the murders happened was her first day there. She gets murdered on her first day. That's a shitty day at work. Like, that's a shitty first day. She started on March 21st, 1922, the day the murders happened. She shows up and gets murdered. Brutally. I mean, that... Wow. So she was hired because the previous maid had quit after she reported that the farm was haunted. Okay. The previous maid had quit a few months earlier and reported that six months prior to her quitting, she began hearing noises within the home at nighttime when she would go to bed. She said that she would hear footsteps walking around above her while she was laying in bed. She said that she would hear what sounded like tapping from the inside of the walls, as well as feeling like she was constantly being watched by someone or something at nighttime when she was laying in bed. And it took her six months? Yeah. I would have been out that day or that night. Yeah. (laughs) More strange things started happening around the farm. Andreas told his neighbors during a conversation that they were having that one morning when he opened his door to go outside, he noticed footprints coming from the woods next to his farm to his door, but he said there were no footprints leaving in the snow from the house back to the woods. So someone has walked, and keep in mind, so it's, it's winter and there's snow on the ground. Yeah. Someone has walked from the woods next to the farm all the way up to their home, mm-hmm. to the door. Nothing's going back. Yeah. So somebody's in the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's what I would yeah. infer from that. Someone's in the house. So that would be pretty creepy. Mm-hmm. On top of uh, my maid coming to me and saying she's hearing tapping in the walls, I'm I'm leaving. I'm heading out. 
I'm selling my farm like and that, I'm leaving. It's like that SpongeBob meme where he's like, all right, I'm a head I'm out. I'm a head out. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing. That's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. So shortly after he reported this incident with the footsteps to his neighbors, he found a newspaper in the house. He did not recognize the newspaper. He had asked his family members, hey, has anyone subscribed to a new newsletter? No, nobody had. He goes and asks his neighbors, do any of you subscribe to this newsletter? Nope. Nobody around does. So they just have this mysterious newspaper that pops up in their home. Never seen it before. Nobody around that lives in the home. Andreas also reported that a set of his house keys had gone missing. He had searched for a while. His One of his neighbors had helped him search. They never found these house keys. So footprints coming to the door. Tippy-tapping in the walls. Feeling like you're being watched. Random newspaper. Now your house keys are gone. I say once more. Leave. <laughs> I, I, I mean, he's he's hanging in better than I would. Yeah. Is there snow on the ground? Yes. Is this a family farm? Also, yes. Is that my livelihood? That's also a yes. Would I leave? Absolutely. Absolutely, I would. Mm-hmm. Yep. So in reporting all of this to his neighbors, one of his neighbors offered him a gun for the protection of himself and his family. He says no. He doesn't want it, which is just not great. <laughs> <laughs> Hindsight... Not a great decision. I'm telling you right now, I would have taken the gun. (laughs) And then left. Not long after the previous mate had quit, the family began to hear noises inside of the home at nighttime. Andres was so scared when these would happen at nighttime. He would not go check. They heard them mostly from the attic. He would not go check. He waited until it was daylight. I mean, you know what? That's the best thing. That's the best decision he's made. Yeah, I mean, I can. I probably would have done the same thing. Yeah. So they, they wouldn't, they all were scared, you know, they're mm-hmm. in their home, their own homes. You're supposed to feel the most comfortable in your home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the poltergeist is happening. So yeah. they're not. <laughs> so when he woke up in the mornings, he would go look through the attic. Nothing. Nothing out of the ordinary was up there. Nothing weird. Two nights before the murder, young Kazalia, the seven-year-old, Victoria's daughter, told a school friend that her mother, Victoria, had run out into the woods alone. They didn't know why she went out there. Initially, the family could not find Victoria. When they found her in the woods, Victoria told the family she did not know how she got out there, nor did she know why she was out there, in the cold, dead of winter, alone, in the woods. She didn't remember doing it. She didn't know why she did it. She didn't know how she got out there. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of strange things happening with this house. Back to March 21st, 1922. The mailman delivers the mail to the Hinterkaifeck farm. It's always the mailman. It is. He knows what's up. Thanks, I, Mikey. Mikey's we just a mailman, say that because Mikey's a mailman. A mailman. Yeah. <laughs> so I said it's always the mailman. Oh, yeah. In the days following March 21st, the mail continues being delivered. But the mailman notices no one is retrieving the mail from outside. They tend to do that. Yeah. Notice things I mean, like that. People, people love to get their mail. They do. And, you know, this family always got their mail. Mm-hmm. He thought it was strange that it was just sitting outside. It was just piling up outside. Later, a couple of coffee salesmen named Hans, I'm going to mess this up, Skarovsky and Edward Skarovsky, they were brothers. They came to the home to take their usual coffee order for the family. The two men knocked on the door. Nobody answered. They kept knocking for a little bit. Still no one's answering. So they started looking through the windows. The men noticed that the gate to the machine room was open, but they didn't see anybody. 
They also had noticed that the animals were being taken care of, like the animals had been fed and stuff, but they can't they can't find anyone. They go to leave, and when they look back at the, the gate to the machine door that was just open, it's closed now, but they've seen no one. In a matter of probably just a few minutes, this gate was open, and then it was closed. It's not known if that was just maybe they witnessed it wrong, they remembered wrong. The wind. The wind. Who knows? Hmm. Or someone. Right. So the two men decide to leave. They left without taking the order. They couldn't find anybody. They leave. But they think it's strange. When they were leaving, they reported that they saw smoke coming from the chimney. So they think this makes it even more weird. We're here, knocking, looking through the windows. We don't see anybody inside the home. But there's smoke coming from the chimney. Animals are taken care of. And possibly a door being closed by someone that's there. Yeah, but no one comes out to talk to them. That's definitely not adding up. No. Really, really weird. On April the 4th, 1922, Albert Hoffner came to the farm to do some work on a piece of equipment that he had been hired by Andreas to do weeks before. So, hold on. So, they died what day? March 21st. And this is when? April 4th. So, it's been a minute. It's been a while. Since. Okay. It's been a while. So, Albert knocks on the door. When he got there, nobody answers. He waited for about an hour before he just went to work anyway on the machine that he was hired to do work on. Mm -hmm. He knew his way around the farm. He'd worked on farm equipment before, so he knew where everything was. So he goes and he does his work. When he's done, he again tried to find someone, but was unsuccessful. He reportedly went to the neighbor's house, Lorenz Schlittenbauer, to see if he knew anything about the family's whereabouts. So when he told Lorenz all of this, hey, I worked here, it said that it took him about three and a half, four hours to do what he needed to do. Mm -hmm. So in that time, he sees no one while he's working. He hears no one. When he tells Lorenz, the neighbor, Lorenz is worried. So mm -hmm. Lorenz sends his two sons out. His son, Johan, who was 16, and his nine-year-old son, Joseph. They take off to the Hinterkaifeck farm. They live about a half a mile away. Okay. So this is a neighbor, but it's like... It's yeah, I mean, just it's, like a typical farm, like yeah, there's like a neighbor's, farms. but it, but it's you know, it's a good, it's a good distance away. away. Yeah. So he sends his sons to go look first. You know, send the 16 year old first. He's got better lung capacity. Right. <laughs> a short time later, the boys return. They said that they saw no one on the farm. At this point, Lorenz gathered two other neighbors, Jacob. I don't know if it's pronounced Sigil. Sigil. It's S-I-G-L. I don't know. I'm sorry. And Michael Pohl. The two men went to the home and tried the front door. They found that it was locked. All three of them together start heading to the actual farm on the land. So when they get to the barn, they found a gruesome scene. Under some hay and some wood, they found the bludgeon bodies of Andreas Gruber, Kazalia Gruber, Victoria Gabriel, and little Kazalia. Oh, yeah. For whatever reason... Lorenz begins to move the bodies. He took Andreas. They were in a pile. So they're stacked on top of each other, then covered in hay and pieces of wood. I don't know if it was just a piss poor job at trying to conceal their bodies or what, but this is how they were found. They were stacked. So he takes Andreas off of the top of everybody and he moves him. And then he grabs little Kazalia and he pulled her body up to a wall and he propped her up as if she were sitting there. So it's really weird that he did this. The fact that he touched the bodies anyway. I mean, back then they didn't have any... I mean, now if something like that would happen, we'd be like, why did you touch... Like, why did you even, you know... Right. Do anything with the crime scene. But back then it was like, 
Right. They, well, they weren't thinking of anything like, like fingerprints or DNA. The neighbor, Michael Pohl, was thinking of this. Okay. Because he sees Lorenz doing this. And he immediately looks at him and was like, stop touching stuff. Stop touching them. What are you doing? This is a murder. Stop touching them. Don't move them. Mm-hmm. Now they have, there's still more people on this farm they have to find. So now they're worried. Michael and Jacob told Lorenz that they were too freaked out to keep looking around. So they just kind of go and they have a minute to themselves, which is completely understandable. Mm-hmm. You're not ready for that. Oh, no. And it, it is brutal the way that they were killed. Okay. So Lorenz goes to the house alone through a connecting hallway from the farm to the farmhouse. There's like a connection there. Hmm. Yeah. When he gets to the door, he noticed hanging in the keyhole in the doorknob were the set of keys that Andreas had reported being lost months earlier. So they're in the keyhole <laughs> Nervous in this laughter. door to the actual home. He enters the house. I got I got some chill bumps going on just yeah. for you saying that. He enters the house. The other two men had had their moment. He lets them in through the front door. They made their way from room to room in the house. Eventually, they found another horrible scene. When they entered the maid's bedroom, they found the new maid, Maria, lying dead across her bed. Next to her, in a bassinet, was two-year-old Joseph, also murdered. Mm. Yeah. His head was busted open. Oh, no. Lorenz had one of his sons go tell the mayor what had happened. The mayor got in contact with the nearest police department, which was in Munich, which was about a 45-minute drive away from the Hinterkaifeck farm. It's a ways away. Investigator George Rangruber immediately began the drive over to the Hinterkaifeck farm from the police department when he heard the news. During all the running and telling the mayor and wait, having to wait for police to get there, word travels fast. People start showing up mm. to the house like it's a museum. People come in. And they're walking through the house. They're walking through the farm. Someone even made themselves a sandwich in their kitchen before police could get there. I have no words. Someone goes to the brutal slaying of an entire family, including two children and a woman who just showed up for work for her first day. Mm -hmm. And they made a sandwich. Yeah, they were like, that turkey looks good. I don't, I don't get I, it. I, <laughs> I mean. I don't get it. Exactly. What? <laughs> Just complete disregard for this entire family. Yeah. Good well, on them. Thumbs up. I mean. Yeah. So when the investigators get there, they're pretty upset at what they find. Because they virtually have no evidence anymore. Yeah. They can't use hardly anything. Even the bodies have been touched by people in the town. They have nothing now. All they would have had to worry about was Lorenz moving Andreas and little Kazelia. Now they can't, they don't have anything because the town decided that it was a museum and also a cafe. Investigators get the townspeople cleared out and Rain Gruber was able to do a little bit of investigating what he could do. But like I said, unfortunately, everything was almost completely destroyed. Yeah. And it's not like back in the early 1900s that they could take a lot of evidence anyway. Yeah. So no, now like they, they essentially didn't have anything. Yeah. So what little he could have taken is is just gone at this like, point. Like shoe prints, if they had any, it's like who knows now. Who knows what? And seventy five people showed up. You know, you can't 
if there's articles of clothing, you know, if there's a knife out, maybe dude used it to cut the meat for a sandwich. Who knows? Yeah, that's wild. But it was, luckily for investigators, it was easy to pinpoint the exact day of the murders. The new maid, Maria, had been accompanied by her sister the day that she moved to the farm on Friday the 31st of March, 1922. Her sister helped her move her things to the farm, stayed to visit with her for a little while, kind of help her get comfortable and get situated before she left. It is suspected that Maria's sister was the last person to see the family alive. It was also helpful that the mail that was delivered on the 21st was the oldest mail that was there. So they knew this was the day that no one got the mail and every day thereafter. Yeah. So it was easy for them to pinpoint the exact day, which for investigators was good because that's one of probably the 10 things that they had to go off for this murder. It was theorized that the four that were found inside the farm, so Andreas, his wife, Cazalia, Victoria, and her daughter, little Cazalia, were lured into the farm one at a time and were murdered. They weren't, they don't think that they were all in there together. That's interesting. I wonder how they came to that conclusion. I couldn't really see. There was one report that I saw said that there was a cow that had gotten loose and maybe that was used as a distraction during like each one of them being pulled in, but there was hmm. nothing like concrete. So I don't, I don't really know like the truth behind even just the cow situation. I don't know. Okay. But that was one thing I saw it in something. One of the videos that I watched or one of the articles okay. I read. So their initial thought about why the murder happened was a robbery gone wrong. Upon further investigation inside of the home, they found cash and several valuables that had been left behind by the perpetrator or perpetrators. And so they ruled this theory out pretty quick. Evidence showed that the murderers had lived in the home for several days after they murdered the family. Reports from several people that had passed the house or neighbors said that they saw smoke coming from the chimney. The food stock had been used almost completely up. The animals had been tended to and fed. And the family dog had been seen in several different areas chained up around the farm. And dogs can't chain themselves up. Thank you for that. You're welcome. They don't have thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> so someone has been living there after they killed the family. All the while, all these people reporting these things, they never saw another person doing these things at the farm. My question is, how do you go take care of cows and nobody sees you? Yeah. How do you move the dog around to several different places outside and nobody sees you? I mean, I can, I can see where you're going, like, with the paranormal part of this. It's not even that. It's just, I mean, how do you do it? How do you do this? But, like, where my mind is going is, like, in the to the beginning when you were talking about footsteps leading up to the door and keys missing and you know hearing footsteps i'm like wondering if this family was just unaware of someone living in their house this entire time it's a big theory that someone was living in the house because i've heard of that happening before. and eventually they they go like after all this happens they they go back in the house a year later after everything's said and done mm-hmm they find some stuff in the attic. Um, one of those things was some someone pooped in the attic. Okay. Feces. They found yeah. feces in that. So someone was just dropping some dukes uh, in the attic. Mm -hmm. So it's a big theory that someone was living in the attic, though. But it's just strange that every time Andreas said that he looked in the attic, he didn't see anything. Yeah. You didn't smell anything either? Like <laughs> 
just had to go there. <laughs> he just had to say it. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, he should have done a sniff test, is what I'm saying. Always sniff your addicts. It's right. important to sniff your addicts. Quit saying that. Public service announcement. Sniff your addicts. Okay? Don't just don't just take a peeksie. Smell. Katie, I speak for everyone when I say this. Please don't say that again. Just, okay. Just don't say it again. Okay. It's like at the end of the process route when he's like spay and neuter your pets. Uh-huh. Sniff your attic. Don't say it again. <laughs> Let's continue. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. Okay. Sniff your attics. Sniff your attics. Be safe. Be aware. Be safe out there. So. And like, I have pretty much zero sympathy for Andreas. It, it is hard to sympathize with Andreas because of what he had done to his daughter for yeah, years. Yeah, like the rest of them. I, I hate it. All the sympathy in the world. I hate it, especially those kids. But him, I'm just, I don't, it, I, have, I don't have, I don't have a lot of sympathy for him. It's really difficult to sympathize with him. Yeah. Johan Baptiste, and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this one. A Mueller was a court physician who performed the autopsies on the bodies. The day after the discovery. He did the autopsies inside the barn. It's nearly 1900, y'all. Okay? Right. He, he probably didn't have somewhere to take them. <laughs> he established that the causes of death were blunt force trauma to the head for Andreas, Victoria, and Cazalia Gruber. Older Cazalia had seven blows to her head, and it resulted in her skull being crushed in. Andreas had a thick caking of blood dried on his face from being struck so many times and his cheekbones were sticking out with like flesh kind of like hanging off of his face well that's that's horrifying yeah so he was he was hit pretty hard victoria also had her skull crushed in and on like the left side of her face in however way that she was struck it looked like she had nine pointed stars on the side of her face oh god Younger Cazalia had been struck in the face, so her jaw was broken. She basically, her jaw was basically hanging off of her skull. Oh my god. And her neck and her face were covered in these circular wounds. So there was a couple strange wounds that were found on Victoria and her daughter, Cazalia. That was a little weird. That doesn't feel like coincidence to me. No, it, it so. doesn't. Though, Victoria did have strangulation marks around her neck. Nobody else did. As for little Kazelia, she was found to have been alive for several hours after the attack. She was on the bottom of everyone else. So all three adults were laying on top of her. She's seven. She was on the bottom of everyone else and she was alive for hours after this happened. Oh my God. It's, it's rough. This is hard. This part's hard. Yeah, that's... Oh. She had ripped fistfuls of her own hair out that were still in her hands when she was found while she laid there to help cope with the shock and the pain that she was feeling after being hit. Oh this God. part makes me want to cry. This yeah, is just like, horrible. Yeah, that's really hard. It's really hard. It's thought that she eventually died due to the blood loss or to shock or just a combination of both, but she was alive for several hours after it happened. I'm sorry, that part's just really hard. Sorry. No, don't apologize. Like, I'm I'm having a hard time over here. It's it's pretty rough. Yeah. Baby Joseph had only been struck once in the head, while everyone else had been struck several times. And after the autopsies were finished, the heads of all six were reportedly removed for further testing in Munich. 
The heads supposedly were taken to a clairvoyant by the police to see if they could help identify perpetrators or a perpetrator. Nothing came from this. And while this is happening, the families have funerals and get buried without their heads. Okay. None of them have their heads. The heads were eventually taken to Munich, but were soon lost because of the war and have never been found. You don't have to. It has been. Go back. Over a hundred years, and their heads have never been found. They lost not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. They lost six heads. Oh, no. Six heads. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. I really don't know what else to say to that. I, knew, okay. I, knew, I knew that one would get you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And is that all because they wanted to take it to a clairvoyant? So, where it's the early 1900s, autopsies were a little weird. Right. So they they did often remove the heads of of people when they performed autopsies. No one really knows why the police wanted to take them to a clairvoyant, but they did. So here's the thing, though. That's probably one of the, like, last-ditch efforts they were making because where the crime scene had been trampled on and they didn't have much to go on, maybe Mm -hmm. they were like, let's take it to a clairvoyant. Right. And even now, police will use... They do. You know, people who claim to be psychics for when they're kind of coming to dead ends for unsolved murders. Right. That's not an uncommon thing. Right. So, I mean... And, and it wasn't uncommon to remove the heads. Right. Um, What was uncommon was to lose them. Yeah, I mean, they're in the middle of a war, I guess. Well, I, yeah. Yeah. So that's why they said they lost them, was because of the war. Oh, because so, of the war. <laughs> yeah. We gonna go with that, they said. Don't really know, though. Never okay. found them. <laughs> a witness named Michael Plockle. Probably messing that up. You should get an award for how you've tried to say these names. I really should. At this point, I should. They were supposed to offer German in my high school, and they couldn't find anybody to teach it. I mean, the most you'll get out of me is a pat on the back. And but. and you know, I'm feeling the effects of that lack of a German class now. <laughs> Unfortunately. So, Michael was walking past the Hinterkaifeck farm. He reported seeing smoke and a foul smell when he walked by. And when was this? This was sometime in the days after the murder had happened. Well, heck yeah, I'd say there had been a foul smell. Yeah. Walks by, he sees the smoke from the chimney, he smells something really gross. Then he sees a man staring at him from afar. The man had a lantern in his hand and lifted it up to where Michael could not see him in the face. So he has the lantern kind of like directly in front of him. It's like if you or I flashed a flashlight at somebody while they're trying to look at us. He can't see them. Michael got spooked and he ran away, which is fair. Fair, yes. But he did think appropriate to report this to police. So another witness says that on April the 1st, at around 3 in the morning, the man's name was Simon Racelander. He was walking past the farm as well. He witnessed two figures standing on the farm. The figures turned their backs to him before he could see their faces. He also got nervous and left and immediately went home. Police interviewed all of the neighbors, anybody in the town who had gone to the farm, gone past the farm, been near the farm, pretty much most of the town. They got a hold of any traveling salesmen or tradesmen who might have been in the area during the crime or around the time of the crime. The interviews went well into the hundreds. But no official arrest has ever been made. 
nor have any charges ever been filed against anyone for these murders. Lorenz Schlittenbauer was one of the main suspects in the crime. And that's the neighbor. This is the neighbor that moved the bodies. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Everyone thought it a little weird that he initiated the search of the farm on April the 4th. Mm -hmm. In an interview, he said that he and Victoria had been sleeping together after his wife had passed away and her husband yeah. was dead. Victoria wanted to marry Lorenz and he was initially kind of weary about it, but then eventually he was open to the idea of marrying Victoria. Mm -hmm. But when Victoria told him that she was pregnant with baby Joseph, he did not believe that he was the father. So Joseph that was murdered may have been Lorenz's son because Carl was already dead. Right. He may have been the father. Lorenz thought, I'm not the dad. Andreas is the dad because he knew about the assault that was happening between the two. But in his mind, it's a relationship. Yeah. So this causes some big issues and Lorenz goes to police and files a complaint against Victoria and Andreas. So this is their second complaint. So my question is before you go in. So, you know, Andreas was married. Mm -hmm. Like that to Victoria's mom. Kazelia. Kazelia. So did she ever say anything or could you find where she... Um, it's never... There's not really much reporting on Kazelia at all. Okay. But I just she, didn't know where she was with all this, you know? I, it never... I mean, it never says. There's really not a lot about okay. the older Kazelia. There's not a lot about her. We know most of a good section of Victoria's life, but pretty much for like, and we know what Andreas was doing to Victoria, but for Andreas and his wife, Kazelia, there's not much about their early life because I guess it was so early in the day. There's not, there's probably not a lot of, um, not a lot of records, records about them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I couldn't find if she, were, if she said anything or not, if she knew or not. I don't know. Okay. So this second complaint from Lorenz came when? This was in the months before their murder. Okay. This was in the months. It was recent before their murder. Like, this was recent. There's no exact dates, but it's known that it was in the months before. But So he he reported the incest. He files another complaint. Okay. So we, it was, we don't know who filed the first complaint, but we know that the second complaint comes from Lorenz because he got mad that Victoria was saying, I'm pregnant with your child because he didn't think it was his. Okay. So that makes him mad. And he goes and files this complaint on them for incest again because he knew about their mm -hmm. relationship. Yeah. Victoria eventually convinced Lorenz that he was the father and he came around and even got to the point where he was calling Joseph his son and he withdrew his complaint after this. A motive given for the murder was that Victoria had allegedly asked Lorenz to provide child support for Joseph, but he refused. He remained under suspicion for many years by the townspeople. He was reported by many to have made strange comments about the murder, things that only the killer would have known. A local teacher named Hans found Lorenz visiting the demolished remains of the farm because the farm does get torn down. When he asked Lorenz why he was there, Lorenz responded by saying the murderer had wanted to bury the family's remains but could not do so due to the ground being frozen hmm. how do you know what he wanted to do yeah how do you know but again this is someone else saying it so we also don't even know if that's true who knows right. if he was actually there and spoke to this teacher lorenz ended up taking several of the townspeople to civil court for slander and he won. He was never arrested for anything involving the murders and was cleared by investigators. Another main suspect on the radar was Carl Gabriel. Re-enter everyone back from the dead. Carl Gabriel. 
Victoria's husband. You lying right now. I'm not lying. I told you. They were really grasping at straws here. They really were. Oof. I mean, they were beyond desperate to solve this. Yeah. Because this was horrifying. I mean, they were all beaten in the head. I mean, this. I mean, any any crime that involves children. Yeah, you you're obviously. I mean, any I mean, any murder you're gonna want to solve, obviously. Right. But when it's involving children and the brutality of this murder, not only do police want to solve it, but you have the town on you. Like you've got to solve. You've got this. to do yeah. this. I'm sure it was a lot of pressure. Oh yeah. I mean, they this an entire family was beat in the head. They don't have a murder weapon. One of them was strangled. One of them, who was a child, lay there and suffered. Mm-hmm. A two-year-old was murdered. A woman who was just coming to work for the first time, beat in the head and killed. I mean, I mean, it was just brutal. And then the reports of people just like, you know, living there, hanging out. Yeah. That's someone, really creepy, someone's too. Someone's living in the house afterwards. I mean, they're taking care of the farm animals and stuff. That's what's weird to me. I mean, they're doing... I mean, farm work is not light work. Right. And I mean, they're out there doing farm work and stuff after they just killed an entire family. It's it's all real weird. I mean, this just takes a special kind of fucked upness that is just <laughs> rarely seen. Yeah. So Carl Gabriel, everyone, though reported dead in the war and his body was never found, it was theorized that Carl had come back to seek his revenge on the family for everything they put him through. So he's coming back for seconds. Some German soldiers reported seeing a man in a Soviet Russian uniform that they believed was Carl Gabriel. They reported Carl saying he wanted to go to Russia. War captives released from Schrobenhausen claimed to have been sent home by a German-speaking officer who claimed to be the murderer of the Hinterkaifeck murders. These statements were later revised some completely took their statements back, and Carl was cleared when detectives spoke with several men who claimed that they saw his dead body the day that he was blown up. Well, this good, case just gets weirder. Good like, for it Carl. Just, you, know? I, you start at the beginning, you're like, okay, this is strange. This is gross. This is creepy. This is weird. This is bad. This is weirder. Like, it just yeah. keeps going. I mean, it, there's, it's just the strangest thing. A few more suspects were named in the investigation. Paul Mueller, a German immigrant in the U.S., was a suspected serial killer in the United States and the only suspect named in the Massachusetts family murder that happened in 1897. Paul was named by author Bill James in his book The Man from the Train due to the similarities in the two cases. Both families isolated in their homes. Blunt edge of a farm tool was used now, as I've heard the weapon. Of that one. Yeah. The stacking of the bodies and the absence of robbery. He alleged that Paul may have fled home to his home country around 1912 when investigators were noticing some patterns in family murders in the surrounding states. And that that would have been around the time that the murders happened in the early 1920s. He's a suspect. The former maid, Crescens Rager, believed it to be the Bichler brothers. The brothers... <laughs> Stop. Sorry. It is, it's a funny name. Everybody get your laughs out. Ha ha ha. The, Bichler. I'm sorry. Ha 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 ha. Okay. Continue. The brothers reportedly helped with the potato harvest at the farm, and they knew their way around the farm. One of the brothers allegedly told her, her being the previous maid, Crescens, that the family, quote, ought to be dead. She also said that the dog never barked at the brothers, but seemingly barked at everyone else. So she thought that was a little weird. I mean, and that, who was it? Or someone said they saw two men. 
Mm-hmm. That guy just walking by or whatever. Mm-hmm. Saw and two then they men. just turned their backs. backs. Yeah. And he kind of got creeped out and ran off. Yeah. That was Simon. The Thaler brothers were also suspects. Also reported by the previous maid. Presence. She's got a couple here. She really must not like sets of brothers. Yeah, she got... Yeah, she got yeah. a lot of tea on, on the brothers. Yeah. So the brothers were known to be thieves around the area. And she said that Joseph Thaler would come over to her window at nighttime. He was one of the brothers. And would ask her questions about the family, but that she would not answer. She said that Joseph claimed to know where each of the family members slept in the exact room that they slept in and who it was. And he also knew that the family had a pretty big amount of money. In 1971, a woman named Teresa T. wrote a letter containing information from her youth about the murder. In the letter, she claimed that her sons were the two murderers, Andreas S. and Carl S. In the letter, she never says her last name or her children's last name. She said, quote, Andreas regretted that he lost his penknife, end quote. When the farm was demolished a year after the murders took place, a pocket knife was found, but it could have belonged to anybody because it's a pocket knife and these are people that live and work on a farm. Right. Like so it wouldn't one. be strange. No. Unless it had like blood on it. Like, right. Even then you'd have to determine if it was animal or. Right. I mean, there, there's a lot here where it's like, it's pocket knife. Who knows? Yeah. Most most men carry a pocket knife around still mm-hmm. today. So who knows? The previous maid, Crescents, said that she was sure she had seen that particular pocket knife before during her time as a maid on the farm. So they, they really didn't know if there was any truth to that. Like I said, the farm and the farmhouse were demolished a year after the murders in 1923. When the house was torn down, a mattock was found in the attic. So a mattock is a farm tool. It's kind of like an axe and a hoe kind of like together. Okay. You can look at pictures. Um, and I'll post a picture of what it looks like with the stuff on our social media accounts. They did find a mattock in the attic. So not only do you need to sniff your attic, you need hey, to look for a mattock you, in your attic. You need to look for a mattock in your attic and do a sniff test. Yep. Okay? Because there is fecal matter in a farm tool that can kill you. Okay. So you should just, we should all go upstairs tonight and sniff our attics. That's not going to happen. Well, you should. You want to be a safe homeowner? Sniff your attic. Thank you, Katie. This is faux serious. Faux serious. This is faux serious. Um, The mattock that was found in the attic was believed to be the murder weapon. After years of investigation, the case was closed in 1955. However, in 1999, an old woman came forward claiming to have information about the murders. She stated that her landlord had shared knowledge of the case with her in 1935. But since it had been so many years that he had shared this with her, he unfortunately had passed away and no police or investigators could get in contact with him. In 2007, the case was reopened by the Furston Feldbrook Police Academy. 15 of the students at the police academy wanted to look into the case and they were trying to use new techniques and new technology that had come in the following years to help build a theory, build a case, and solve the murders. The students theorized one particular individual and they all agreed that they believed that this individual was the murderer, but they've never revealed to the public who they thought it was because who they thought was the the murderer still has living family, so they did not want to be disrespectful to their living family and slander the family's name or that individual's name without proper fact and knowledge to say, hey, such and such did it. I get it. Which, yeah, I absolutely understand that. A memorial was put up near where the farm once stood. It's not exactly where it was, but it's 
close by, and it reads, quote, On March 31st, 1922, the Gabriel Gruber family fell victim to the ungodly hand of the murderer. Nothing has come since the students at the police academy decided to look into the case. No one's really looked into it again. It's still closed to this day. I don't think that we'll ever have this murder solved. I don't think that we'll ever know. It's so old. The crime scene was so tarnished. There's so many strange things, too many theories, and not enough facts and evidence to get this solved. So I don't think that we'll ever have this case solved. There are hundreds of theories as to exactly what happened, but again, they're just theories, and I just don't think that we'll ever know. So you can, I mean, you can look into the theories. Uh, you know, I named a couple during this, but there's, like I said, there's so many out there. You can look in, into them, but I just, I don't think that we'll ever have this solved. I wish that we would. Well, I definitely don't think it was a ghost. I, I don't think it was a ghost. I don't think it was some demonic force or entity. I, I definitely think no. they were murdered by this case. A person. This case makes me think of the movie what's it called The Boy, where it's like the doll that that woman has to go babysit. Yeah, and he's getting moved around. And what's his name? His name's Brom. His name's Brom in the movie, and he's getting moved around, and all this stuff's happening. And turns out it's actually spoiler alert. It's a dude living in the house, in the walls. Yeah. Yeah. That's what this makes me think of. I'm like, I feel like someone was living in the house. But it it, it reminds me a lot of that movie. And mm -hmm. I, I feel I feel like that's what was going on. Because, you know, the movie, you think it's haunted. You think it's a haunted doll. Nope. Some creepo living in the walls. And I, I really do feel like somebody was living in the house. Oh, yeah. There was probably someone been in that house, like, come, either coming and going or have been there pretty much the whole time. And possibly for months. Yeah. Because and, you gotta remember. And getting was, out like at night. That's why they were hearing things at night. I just, I don't know. It's that. Because it was months before the previous maid, Crescens, even left the house. It was six months six before months. she even quit. She reported this. And it took them a couple of months to find a new maid. The only thing that's like kind of baffles me. I mean, this whole thing baffles me. Why Victoria went out to the woods randomly and when you think about it she also was the only victim that had strangulation marks around her neck yeah that's interesting and that felt like like hers was personal, it was personal. Mm -hmm. and that's the thing when people talk about this case it was so brutal when they brought up robbery and i read that they had thought initially that it was robbery and i know that they have to look at all angles and everything but this was such a personal and intimate attack i mean you lure one person at a time into the barn you kill them you have your time with them while you're murdering them and then you just move on to the next you're and you doing stack it stack them yeah you're doing it one at a time with victoria you obviously took your time because you strangle her and everyone knows that strangulation is a very personal and intimate way be. to kill someone yeah and you also struck her in the head you take the children out in the exact same way, blow to their head, then you stack them, then you live there. Yeah, it's just doesn't... it's all really strange. If I had to say a, if I had to say a suspect, like a person that I thought would be the best suspect, I would say Lorenz Schlittenbauer, the neighbor. Oh, yeah. That's like, yeah, he had he had the most motive, right? But at the same time, the motive, you know, apparent everything was in clear with him and victoria yeah at the same time but though, that's according to him yeah exactly we're just taking you know it's just his word 
And that's a lot of this case is word by mouth from people. I mean, it's... Yeah, but it's also like, yeah, he's he's probably the best sub, um, suspect. But then there's also just, since he lived right there, why would he live there? Why would he stay there? And that's the thing. And he also had children at home. Yeah. So, so and they... that he doesn't have a wife anymore. His wife was dead. Yeah. So who's staying with the kids if he's living over there, you know? Mm-hmm. He's got a nine-year-old and a 16-year-old who's taking care of them. Like seeing two guys, two men. Right. So, and I don't, and, and my here's my personal opinion. I don't think this was a one, like one person. Like I don't one think person so either. Did this. I think this, this had to be, I mean, it doesn't have to be. One person could do this. But to take on a whole family like that, you would think it was probably, like, I'm feeling more home invasion. Mm-hmm type of thing where it's like and and more than one person i feel like this had to at least been two but then when you think about it if it was two were two people if if you go based off the theory that there's two and combine the theory that they were possibly living in the house before they did the murders and that's what all the strange happenings were it would be difficult for one person to live inside of a home and not eventually get caught I mean, it may I have been easier back then but still difficult I and don't then, think two people were living there. That's the thing. I don't I don't think two people were living there. Okay. I just I was gonna say two people not being caught living inside the I house. Know, that's wild. That'd be even crazier. Yeah, no, I don't think it was two people living there. I I mean, I just maybe it w- was Lorenz and some you know, someone he knew. You know what I'm saying? And see also with the reports of the two men being seen by Simon, in some articles it said he saw two men. In some other articles it said he saw two men and what he thought was a woman. Hmm. Yeah. In more articles, it said two men, so that's kind of what I went with. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's there's some reports out there that he said he saw two men and maybe a woman. That's what this whole thing is. Wild. It's all crazy. It's and it it bugs me, but I've accepted it that we'll probably never have an answer for this. Yeah. This one will probably never be solved. It was ruined too much from the get-go. It was. And, and you know, back then they couldn't go off on the lawn. Exactly. It was hard it's enough just, anyhow. It's very hard. And, ugh. Yeah. That sucks. It does. Because the whole family deserves justice, but those kids. Oh, yeah. Even though now, obviously, everyone involved is gone. But. Right. Most likely. I mean, yeah, they're gone. It would still just be good to have a resolution you know? it would it would be nice to have a resolution and we probably won't though yeah probably yeah. not ever well thanks for telling me this one i can't believe i'd never heard it i i cannot crazy believe to me. that it's one of the when if you look up like crazy cases crazy unsolved cases mm-hmm. this is usually in like the top 10 somewhere because it, it just has all these weird things but i will say my knowledge of unsolved cases in America is pretty vast. Right. There's usually not one that I at least haven't heard of. I may not know all the details or really, but I've at least heard of it. Right. In Europe and just any other, like, I I don't have as much knowledge. So, you know. Yeah. But thanks. You're welcome. I hope that you enjoyed it somewhat. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was hard to listen to a lot of it. Sorry that I, I, I totally was about to cry. While talking about Little Cazalia, but that just... Rightfully so, man. It is so... It's so hard. It was hard to read that. Mm-hmm. It was hard to know what happened to her. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was just... But yeah, so you did a good job. That was good. Well, thanks. I hope yeah. everyone enjoys it. And if you want to look into this a little more, like I said, there's... I'm going to look into this more. There's tons I of just, theories out I there. I bet there's like a Reddit thread. 
Oh, I'm this, sure that there is. Or, this would be a good case to do a Reddit thread on. Or, you know, just some, I, bet, I bet there is. And I want to read all of the theories. Because this, I, I mean, it just hits all the crazy stops. Mm-hmm. From the time you start to the time you finish. Yeah. There's. There's. Ins- par- there's. Paranormal. There's paranormal. Uh, there, I there's, mean, there's a paranormal aspect just because right, that's, you know. Right. It, I mean, the, you know, the maid thought it was haunted. The yeah. The crescent, she thought that the house and the farm was haunted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she thinks it's haunted. And really, in that moment, I probably would have to. Oh, yeah. Like, my first thought isn't someone's in that. Like, my, my thought would be like, oh, no, this house is haunted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. And the footsteps, that's really good, like, investigative work on, on Andrea's part. Like, the footsteps leading into the house, but not back from the house. Not back from the house. Yeah. There's that. There's newsletters found. Keys go missing. Keys are magically found by and that's the thing. I, that's, also. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. And he's by himself when he, quote, found the keys just in the doorknob. He was alone. Remember, the other two men had taken a break. He was alone. Mm, and he found, I didn't think of he that. He found the missing set of keys. He found them, quote, unquote. Magically in the door. Oof. On his way into the home. Completely alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. We got the keep... more you. The more you think about it. Yeah. The more you think of it. The more we think, think about, about this case. Mm-hmm. The more things kind of align, and you're like, okay, okay, okay. But yeah, this case it hits all the stops for me. Mm-hmm. It's got the creepy. It's got crazy family scandal. It's got heads are missing. <laughs> it's got. It's got heads are missing. Six heads are missing. Uh, I will never get over that. Mm-hmm. it's just it's got a lot it's got bring back a dead guy as a main suspect yeah it's it has all the things it does that are strange and weird which are my favorite things well thank you for telling me uh well thank I, you for listening yeah of course always all right guys we will be back next week with another episode we'll be back next week with another episode and thanks for listening again thanks guys Please, if you, you know, enjoy our podcast whatsoever, please go to wherever you listen and give us a five-star rating. We would really appreciate that. We would appreciate that. it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, hopefully. We'll be here next time. We'll be here next week. Thanks. Thanks. And remember, sniff your addicts. Oh, my God. Of course you had to put that in the end. <laughs> All of the sources we used for this episode will be linked in our show notes. We'd like to thank Mikey Kinley for audio and editing and our friend Avalyn Yulaberry for our cover art. Make sure to like and follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Our Instagram is M3Podcast and you can find us on Facebook under the name of our podcast, which is Murder, Mayhem, and Merlot. (laughs) 